What does it take to become an elite 40k player? How do the top competitors overcome bad dice? The Competitive 40k Network presents Art of War Unbroken. Insight into the game plans of the top players on the planet with your hosts, Blake Law and the Art of War Coaches. Hello and welcome to Art of War Unbroken. Champions may lose, but their spirit remains unbroken. I'm your host, Blake Law. This is episode Unse, or 11, of the podcast, and we're very glad you're able to join us today. They say we learn the most from our losses, and that's exactly what we aim to do with this podcast. We're taking top players from all around the country. We're talking about an event where they've lost one or two games, almost got there, not quite, and we're taking that game, and we're talking about things they perceived as mistakes, and we're talking about Hey, I'm not blaming the dice on this thing. I made this move, I made that move, and I'm here to talk about how I'm going to win the next time I play that same list. How often have you blamed a bad game on dice? We've all done it. We've all been there. That is exactly what this podcast aims to debunk. For today, we are going to the mall, to the ball, the bang, the bang, diggy, diggy. We are headed to the mall in the mall over in Tennessee. We are talking about Chaos Space Marines, specifically the Emperor's Children. We were talking about the one loss he took at that event to Drakari in his 5-1 and one performance at that event. Now, this is part one, so in this episode, we will be talking about the game. We will be analyzing the game. We'll be talking about common mistakes. We'll be talking about the secondaries he took, target priority. We'll be talking about the mindset he goes into before and after the game, all those good things. Join us for part two, which is available to subscribers over at the Art of War 40K.com website. In part two, we talk about strategy and list adjustments. We talk about things he plans to change. We talk about that elite player mindset, and we're just going to have them coach us through how they roll through this list. Now, my co-host today is a little bit of a deviation from the norm. It's not our standard co-host, but he is often called the Tom Brady of 40K. Not your Tampa Bay version, but the classic New England version. He is a former ITC champion. He's a four-time Adepticon champion. He's a three-time Nova Open champion. He is a back-to-back ETC gold medal champion. He has an ATC win. He is a lifetime member of Team USA. He is my good friend, Mr. Brown Magic, Nick Nanavati. Hello, Mr. Blake. Two guest appearances on podcasts in one week and both glowing introductions. Thank you. Whose was better? Was mine or Tim's introduction better? I have to know. Oh, I don't know. I think yours had more flair to it, so I'll give it to you. But Tim, oh. Tim's was really good. I don't want to sell that short. Okay, okay, good. How excited are you to go to Orlando And what is it, like three weeks now? I'm super excited. We got some good stuff going on. Mark and I are going back-to-back weekends. First, we're doing Charity Hammer. Very excited for that event. That's in two weeks. And then immediately after flying back from that, we're like driving down to Orlando for the first ever Games Workshop tournament in a, over a decade. And you got to remember to pick me up at the airport on the way there because uh, otherwise I'm going to be just stranded. It's a good thing you reminded me to do that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, there you go. Um you're also, I'll be uh, shoutcasting the Charity Hammer, so I really look forward to that. Me and Adam Camilleri and uh, a couple other The Art of War guys, a uh, whole panel of uh, great players, great shoutcasters. That's going to be fantastic. I really look forward to that. And our guest today is often called Big Papa Nurgle. He is a legend of the Chaos Realm. He's the most handsome man in 40K. He's won several awards for that. He writes wacky chaos lists. He's the originator of many net lists that you have seen out there. He's won 11 GTs, three majors, six best overalls in his playing career. He's the ITC's first champion of the South, my good friend, Mr. Mark Perry. I am here. Okay, maybe, maybe <laughs> not do the Batman voice. Ugh, that was a little hard. Okay, back to normal self. Thanks for having me, Blake. I'm excited to be here and explain the love and 
hatred that I have for Dreadclaws and the Imperial. Mark, who would win between a wrestling match between you and an immovable object? Well, you know, I'm a demigod of moving, so nothing is unmovable to me. I will find a way. You will. Physics. You will. I've seen it. I've seen. Uh, I've seen you pick pick up many a people. I most recently saw you pick up uh, Jack Harpster <laughs> in a photo. I thought that was fantastic. <laughs> you, if you only see like the video, like I wish there was a video because he was trying to squirm and get away. I'm like, no, you staying high. You staying high in the ground. Off. The you're ground. here. Yeah, you're here. You're staying. That's um. Mark basically single handedly moved the entire stream house from one apartment to this. No location. Like everything we own. And ate like seven chicken sandwiches in between of them. Lunch. <laughs> you know the battle your way. Was that during the chicken sandwich battles? Like where you had to like skirmish your way to get a, a spicy chicken sandwich? Totally. Like I was sitting on like, all right, here's the goal. I'm like, all right, I move this couch, I pick up this couch. I'm like, all right, bonus chicken sandwich. Eat. Keep going. Perfect. Mark, I've been pitching this idea that uh, brimstone horrors are the good guys at 40k. And um, I, I pretty much hit a wall with everyone. They've all said, like, that's that's impossible. That's um, that's a dumb idea. And they just move on. How do you feel about that? The problem is I think they're like the hero we don't deserve because there's that time in 7th edition where they're just really kind of busted. So I don't know if they're heroes, but, you know, they're little lights and they're little helpers. Brownstones? Brownstones. I just think Brownstones. they're adorable, man. I, bu- I built them for the first time like a month ago. And I was like, man, these models are so cute. Like, there's no way these guys are bad guys. Like, they're just like here to chill, you know? A little happy, happy flames. This little and good. Nine, I'm gonna let it shine. They are not bad. They are not bad models, actually, in the game either. Um, all right, let's just jump right into it, Mark. I want you to tell me all about the mall and the mall. Tell me where it's at. Tell me how many days. Tell me all those good stuff. So it's over located in Cleveland, Tennessee, I believe, over at Dicehead Games, uh, done by Chad Taylor. And um, it's an awesome, it was a very fun event. It was a great coming out, be able to see all the guys that are in Tennessee. And um, a lot of the terrain was very similar. I would say that um, like it was it, being hosted by the, you know, ATC uh, TOs. So it was, you know, it was great being able to see all those folks again, do all that stuff. Was the terrain, the terrain was kind of your standard, what you'd expect for like an ATC event or was it, was there anything wacky about it? Like player based, anything like that? No, it was supposed to be all preset. We adjusted a little bit depending on your deployment zone. Like, you know, Hey, look, L's face this way. Um, on Dawn of Wars, on Hammer and Anvil stuff, they face this way, you know, meant to be on kind of your side there. They previewed some of the terrain that was in it. It looked like you're going to do more like ATC, like ATC style terrain, where it was like heavy lights and mediums. And then they just decided to dense them all up, which was really happy going into there. And that terrain game like got really dense and it was a really nice combination of, you know, lots of ruins with second story. So it adds that extra skirmish battle to its... Oh, I had some pipeline. So there's just, there's, it was, the terrain was very, ha- I was very happy with it. It was very interesting with that many, you know, sometimes ruins of some of these boards, some of the other ones had a decent amount and it was, at, I really enjoyed the terrain layout. Uh, you never felt like you were probably just out in the open, um, yeah. which was good. And a lot of the ruins did not have windows on the bottom. So it made it very good for defense. Awesome. Um, yeah. So that, that sounds like it. So it sounds like you had a, um, you know, it was a set terrain, but there was like a kind of a before rounds. They kind of told you how to adjust a little bit, or maybe there was a little sheet or something there. Yep. So they also did like the smaller pieces as player place, like forest and craters. And each one had like six pieces of that. And um, that didn't change too much for me for like playing the game overall. But sometimes that does matter in certain people, like being able to place your forest in a move blocking position, make it hard for your opponent to assault into you. Or if, like, let's say my list like, kind of wanted to, like, drop somewhere, I could totally, like, place a forest where I kind of want to go to get minus one and use it as defensive pe- purposes. Yeah. Um, 
but the player place for the small pieces was handy. I like it for the small pieces. Yeah, it's not it's not game shattering, but you can still use it to mitigate some stuff. You can use it to you know put a minus one somewhere where you don't something shot, or it gives you a little bit of a of a buffer. But it's not game shattering. I, I like that a lot actually. So, Mark, let's jump into your list. I want you to just kind of read us, walk us through it. You you played in Mono Emperor's Children, and the list is just freaking awesome. So I'm I'm excited to talk about it. Okay, so. Really, my list, let's just like, you know, talk about the details. It's a single battalion, which is really weird for chaos starting off. We're not used to like, we're used to like souping up. We're taking triple patrols. Do you have command points in this army? I somehow have command points in this army. And I don't know what, like, sometimes I didn't know what to do with it. And then I just popped all my abilities like turn two. And I'm like, well, I'm out of CP now. The rest of the game, I'm just going to get honor the prince charges (laughs) and uh, play around with that strategy. So with the list starting it off. Uh, probably like like the HQs, they were pretty simple. You had the Dark Apostle with the Revenant and the Marvagellion, something like that. It's the reroll wounds once per a game instead of doing his normal chant, uh, which is you know crazy strong. Like once per game for your every Emperor, Emperor Children unit within six reeling wounds for close combat and shooting uh, is one is very much what my list is based off of. Is that it's a relic that he takes? Yeah, it's a relic. And okay. then. A Chaos Sorcerer that's just there for delightful agonies and prescience. Uh, I don't take Warp Time naturally because I the list doesn't very much function around Warp Time Torpedo plays. So if I ever run into a situation where I need Warp Time, I just spend one CP, swap into it, I got it there uh, for the situation that needs it. But otherwise, prescience and delightful agonies are consistently going to be more used. For people who don't play it pretty consistently, um, the, there's a strat for one CP where you can swap out a spell. Is that what you're talking about there? Yep, the spell okay. familiar. Spell familiar, okay. Okay. Then the Chaos Lord vet, you know, beforehand I was pretty, like, I didn't really care for the demon weapons. I rarely build, like, Chaos characters that are beat sticks. But one, I still wanted to reroll one source because I am a very, the list is a very aggressive gun list. So the reroll ones really get, I get a lot of mileage out of it. But also, I wanted a Chaos character that was, one, fast enough that he can go out and do things. So, like, Lucius was kind of like, he was a little slow, so I upgraded this Chaos Lord instead. And the Chaos Lord has uh, Flames of Spite and the Rapturous, or Rap- Rapturous Claws, which is an extra D- D6 attacks. So on a one, I think a mortal one can't use it because it's a demon weapon. But otherwise, it gives that many bonus attacks. So he comes with a massive amount of attacks, and on six pluses the wounds he is going to have mortal wounds. So he's reeling wounds because it's a relic lightning claw and I can vets and I can get a crazy high amount of attacks with him. Like it's not, unre- it's not unlikely that he can with prescience and vets, he can kill probably a 20 man, 15 man Vanguard unit pretty easily because of death to false emperors and the mortals. And when you pop an emperor shoulder stratagem uh, to get extra attacks for every model you kill. So just shout out to that little character because that's how you made the list. Then we got a unit of eight noise rings with one blast master and seven sonic blasters. We got two cultists. Um, then we have two units of chosen, both five mans. One has five lightning claws. One has four lightning claws and a chain sword. They were kind of like in a lot of places. My MVPs. I love that unit a lot. Then we have a contemptor dread with the hellbrute plasma cannon because I didn't have five points randomly for another vocalite, but the plasma cannon was really actually handy because the flat free damage and overcharging. Just came into play a lot. Um, he has a chain fist. Then we have a Leviathan that has a melt a lance with Vocalite um, and a never 
chain vote star a drill. In this case, it's the exact same stats. The then drill. we move into fast attacks. The bread and butter of making this list fundamentally work is the triple dread claw. Uh, they're just so good after the FAQ being able to get in and out of them uh, or get out of them turn one, but you can also still jump back in and out during mid games to do some shuffling. They, so they act still like a rhino. Why being a dread claw? And they randomly punch relatively hard. Oh, that makes them similar to like a flying dreadnought. So like they're just a hybrid unit that I really appreciate. There's a great utility piece. It gives the angles shooting for getting into my heavy supports and my noise marines. It allows me to do so much plays. Can you just explain the dread claws a little bit? Just like what they are. I think they're a pretty strange forgeable unit that a lot of people aren't familiar with. Can you just explain like exactly what they are and how they work? So they are a drop pod in all sense. They can come down turn one to turn three. You can get out of them, uh, but you don't have to get out of them. Okay. Now, what happens so they can, I'm trying to sit there and say, they have strength 12, minus four, flat free damage and close combat. The four base goes to five with shock assault. They're only weapon skill four. And if they move over you in the movement base, you're going to do two for five D3 mortal wounds and on a six a D6 and on one nothing. So they're a drop oh. pod that can somehow move. It can move 12 inches. It has fly. It's very mobile. Kind of like. I'm going to tell you, I have a million questions for this in part two. I'm just going to go ahead and put that out there. This is like <laughs> the crux of everything I want to talk about in part two. It's just these crazy flying drop pod dreadnought things. These are the bread and butter of this list. They are how this list was constructed and designed. So let's go into the heavy supports, I guess, kind of then to understand what I'm putting in there. Like, obviously, I'm putting noise rings in there. You can also put a contemptor dread in there. So I very often did that because it just makes them a really tough little torpedo that can come out turn one and do some stuff. But then the heavy supports are actually like my second favorite part of this army is I got two Havoc squads with four auto cannons each. The sergeant on both of them has a combi plasma and a plasma gun. Somehow I get extra four plasma shots when I get up close, you know, long range, it's still only two plasma shots, but that was just really handy having some extra, you know, get some extra efficiency out of those two units. And then the third unit is another chosen or never havoc squad that has four chain reaper cannons and they were money. That unit is so bonkers. Yeah. What do you, what do you start in the, in the pods? What typically goes in those? So it changes from situation to situation. Sometimes like I put, if I know that the angles are going to be really hard for me to get, what I end up doing is putting like a chosen squad. Um, if I'm going to like torpedo one out turn one, I think so, or turn two, if I need a torpedo at some point, something out of a pot, I'll put a chosen squad in there. But typically always noise Marines, uh, chain reaper havocs. I'll either put a never havoc squad in there or the chosen in there. Sometimes um, I put two Dark Disciples and the eight-man chosen our Noise Marine squad. Therefore, they can get easy data intercepts with that two-man unit um, or screen out or just do like just harassing things. I've taken a couple times where I've just like honored the Prince two Dark Disciples that was on a single raider on an objective, tagged it with two little dumb models. Or not was it a raider. It was, was it a rhino? Yeah, because it was something that couldn't fight back on me. And I've done that before. And that's hilarious to have that type of play in the bank where you're just like, okay, I denied you five points on the primary. I got me engaged points. I only cost me a CP and 10 points. Um, so those, yeah, those go in there. Disciples are so useful. 
You're so good. Like I, I just wish I could take free all the time, and I don't see a way I could make Triple Apostle work. <laughs> <laughs> so let me try to understand how this army plays. It's got the triple drop pod. Do you always reserve all three of them? Because I know you could deploy them, right? No, that was that something they lost in the new rules is you have to start them off board. Oh, okay. So the drop pods are coming in. Off, but they took that away. Right. Drop pods coming in with noise marines, havocs, maybe some chosen for some charges, and maybe a dreadnought. Um, what? How do you? What do you deploy? And then, how, like typically, like what's the strategy for your deployment? And then, how do you like determine when to come in with this stuff? What's the game plan here? So the game plan here is one is keep my opponent underneath a position where they feel like they're always under threat, but they're not sure when. So they want to deploy a little defensively. As soon as they see that I can like hard deploy, like I have about a thousand points in the pod stuff. So they don't want to overcommit there. They don't want to overcommit too much on the board because they don't want to risk me doing a lot of damage to them. Turn one if they are respectful of me. So if you do that, then if I know that type of matchup is going to go into it, I commonly, the Rhino starts on board with probably like two chosen units. If I don't put one in the pod, are both Havoc autocannon units. If I know like the train, I can hide the Rhino and they can get out of the Rhino and the firing lanes are really good from that terrain piece or wherever the Havocs autocannons can get out of. So that's, the, it's the combination of those two depending on, you know, terrain placement, objective placement, and so forth. The free characters, I'll commonly start with one cultist unit on board, but not always. And the Leviathan actually is like 50-50. Sometimes the Leviathan starts on board. Sometimes he doesn't. If I know my opponent's going to be really aggressive with me, onto me, turn one, and there's a chance of that happening, then I make sure that you know both chosen units uh, and the Leviathan Dread are on board, ready to counter-soul to make sure that I get, you know, take, can fight back. If I know my opponent's going to be able to play passive into me, or he doesn't have the speed to zone me out and pressure my backfield units, then I like reserve probably the Leviathan. I probably reserve never chosen units and put one in the pod and then I put both Havoc and autocannons in the Rhino because I can get away with technically reserving like 100% of my army off board because the drop pods are ignored. They count as being on the table for reserve purposes for natural game mechanics. So I can get away with a lot of very hard null deploy. That's very, that's, that's something that's very rare in this edition. And it's something that hasn't been seen in the game in a hot minute. So it gives me that type of flexibility where I can deploy like a character and like free rhinos and a cult of squad and be satisfied. Yeah, that, that makes sense. That's really cool. I like uh, I like this list and I like how like like aggressive and like this tricksy it is. It's pretty cool. Is this one of those lists where you're just trying to put the pressure on your opponent, run away with the scoreboard for as long as you can and keep them pinned in while you're just racking up points? Doesn't matter if you kind of get tabled by the end of it because, you know, your army's not updated to ninth edition so it's not like mathematically as efficient if you just have more points though so it's okay if you lose all your stuff right so that's that's probably like 90 percent of my games maybe even like maybe like 80 percent like i just win by existing longer than you and you know i can play and push into you turn one uh and just really set you behind on your engages your you know banners are like dominations i can really I can really kind of push people back and make their primaries and those board control secondaries and punish them for taking them. In a way, making someone play so defensive to not get alpha struck by all your drop pod shootiness that they aren't able to really play the mission effectively because they can't leave their little corner deployment. Exactly. Nice. All yeah, right, I like that. You ready to go into the Dark Elder and get into this game? Yeah, so Mark, you won five games and you lost one. And we're talking about the one you lost. I mean, that's just the way, that's just how the how the, the podcast flows, but 
We're talking about Drakari, and I think it was your second round that you lost that one, wasn't it? Yep. I lost to Stephen Crowley on round two on Final Intelligence. Well, let's Nick. Nick, how about you tell us a little bit about the list? Let's let's talk about Stephen's list. Absolutely. So just to paint the picture a little for you, Vital Intelligence is the one where it's a corner deployment. There's six objectives. Four of them are spread down the middle, and the one is deep in each player's deployment zone. This is one of the missions where you can hold the objective at the start of your command phase, and then it's permanently yours, even if you leave it, until the enemy comes and takes it from you. And of course, it is a dreaded hold two for five mission, so just much harder in general to score primary points in this one. So... Mr. Steven was playing Drakari, an army I'm very familiar with. He had the classic triple patrol. We got a, the first one had an Archon with Hatred Eternal, a Husk Blade, so he's re-rolling, and the, it was the Gym Blade, so he's re-rolling everything with minus three, three damage attacks. Mr. Drazar, so a lot of combat power in those two characters. Team into five Warriors, a large unit of ten Incubi, two units of five Incubi, and five Raiders, which most of the army goes in. This is a Blackheart detachment, of course, so uh, those Raiders are real to hit, and then he's got access to Agent's Effect and all that good stuff. We've got uh, a couple Witch detachments, tons of Witches here. So the first, it's all called the Strife, because that's the good one. And then we have a Succubus with Competitive Edge and the Triptych Whip. That's a very classic combo, just one of the strongest Succubus you can make. Looks like one, two... Two large units of witches, two 10-man witch squads with a bunch of weapons and scary stuff. Those seem pretty good. Uh, a large unit of 10 Hellions. Nice unit right there. A large unit of Reavers. We got nine Reavers, it looks like, with uh, a variety of weapons. Three Heat Lances and some Grav Talons. So doing some Mortals as well and shooting. That's a really powerful squad. A lot of fast speed in there as well. Next, we have the Precision Blows, Dark Lotus, Toxin, Razor Flail, Succubus. She's the show stealer, so she can leave six inches after attacking. Um, she's just awesome. Pooping out mortals, tons of attacks, tons of damage. Just really cheap package. And then we got three, maybe two, I think three units of five witches just running around scoring points um, on foot. So a lot of witches, a lot of witches, a lot of speed, a lot of power in the Hellions and Reavers, a lot of power and killiness in the characters and the Incubi. This is just a damage-dealing, very fast, hard-hitting Dark Elder army. Yeah, it sounds like it. It sounds like it's all over the board and just like slamming into a lot of a lot of high damage stuff there. Um, Mark, why don't you tell us when you look across the table and you see this list, do you think this is a bad matchup for you? So no, because I'm actually very much designed to fight uh, Jakari. I am very much like I have very fast and very mobile shooting that I can get angles on. So I felt very comfortable going in this matchup. But Vital Intelligence made it really, you know, it's the most dangerous one. It's the one where it has the most room to make mistakes, but also the most room where my opponent has a lot of control because it's that whole two, hold three, and being able to leave objectives. My opponent has a lot more stuff than I do, uh, where I'm very elite in my ways, and I can't, you know, I don't have a high sustain rate. He has a very long-lasting sustain for being Drakari. There's so many units, they're accurately tough, and so forth. So I had to kill him to the man. Going into this game, I knew I'm like, I have to get get on them fast and hard because if I just let the Dark Elder set the tempo and just push into me, they're going to get high crazy primary points. They're going to get good secondary points. And I came into this game looking at like, all right, I'm going to get really good secondary points. My primary is going to be a little whiffy if I don't, you know, worst case scenario where if I don't do enough damage, 
And they kind of just trade, and they're going to get good primary points. What secondaries um, did you take, Mark? I took uh, no prisoners because the Hellions and the Reavers are a lot of models, and he had a lot of models just floating around. So I knew my passive game state was I got to kill models. So let me get the points for that. Okay. Then I took uh, retrieve data. Um, and that was a very, you know, it's, it's a basic good one. It allowed me to get eight points off of it. I got free quarters for that. Um, then I took, what was it? Did you take the mission one? Uh, no, I did not take the mission one because of how dangerous it was risking it on board control against Dark Eldar. Did you take engage here? I did take engage and I got a decent amount out of that. Um, I think that was, I remember exactly. I got 31 points on my secondaries. And I gave Steven 11 on his secondaries. Yeah. So let's so talk that, about how that... How we that lost the game with 20 points up in secondaries. We're yep. going to have to talk about this. <laughs> yep. That's, that's, that's where these little decisions come into effect. <laughs> Do you remember what secondaries he took? Yeah. So he took Grind Them Down, which I gave him a happy zero on. Uh, he took Data, Retrieve Data. And I only gave, he only got four points for that. He only got two table quarters. I made sure I can control and push that back hard. Wow. And then he got seven points on Engage. So... Uh, holding a Dark Eldar army to seven points on engage and zero points on grind is and crazy. And four to me. points only on retrieve data. Yeah, That's so insane. you've done some good work here. Um, let's go through the actual how the game was played a little bit. Okay. So the game, really, how I played it came down to the terrain. Okay. This is a, one of the tables that had an extra two ruins. So there's eight ruins that had no bo- no windows at the bottom. It was vital intelligence, so there's practically like three in your kind of your table quarter. They weren't at the perfect angles to hide everything directly, but they were pretty good for hiding front to front. Um, and then we had like two pipeline systems that were like just big tubes that were right in the middle of the board that were skewering. They were about like eight inches long and like three inches thick. So going into this game, I realized I'm like, when I'm playing vital intelligence, which is the hardest matchup for this one to work at, but I have some really powerful things in there. I can really mess with their tempo. But then, like, I also was looking at the terrain setup. I'm like, I really have to take as much firepower as I can put down turn one. Because if he jumps mid-board, there's so much cover for him. And he could really zone out my angles, then and screen me out. Where he can really funnel my shooting not to be into as much as I want it to be. And um, so, going... F- I went first, which really helped out with this. Going second... um. If he zoned out and pushed out of there, luckily there's two objectives that were kind of just out in the open, but were in the midfield on his side. And my other ones were kind of practicing that too. But like, I, he kind of deployed hard on his back short edge and then put some units out in the wide angle that couldn't really hide, but he wanted to make sure that he could jump over and bug with my short side uh, objectives. Because, you know, you don't want to just let a, you know, aggressive list sit back there with little point units to get points. or um, And... So when I went into this, going first made my life a lot easier. I didn't have to worry about how he would screen, what was his thought process going into the game. I could look at the current board state and say, I can get angles to a reaver jet bike unit. I can get angles to four raiders. And uh, the things that can pop out the raiders, I can get some of the angles on some of the units that pop out. So I did that. And then I also, this was definitely one of the games where I'm like, I can pop a raider. That's forward front, make the unit that gets, when that raider dies, since it's kind of like back to back with another raider, it would kind of have to deploy its guys and forward, unless he desperate breaks out, goes backwards. But at that point, he's risking losing more models. So 
I could set up a chosen charge at a specific position there. So I came down, I popped my rules. I went all in. There was no breaks on this train. I'm like, I have off board. I had one unit of uh, chosen and a unit of dark disciples. I put both of them in outflank for one CP. Therefore, you know, I can get my data. There's a little witch squad. that's probably going to go hide somewhere. Maybe two. the chosens need to go deal with that. So very much um, at all that working out perfectly. I come down turn one. I kill four raiders and I put down, I think I kill six, no, or seven of the bikes. Uh, I was able to get an angle on them with the Reaper chain cannons and I ratatat tat and put down that mini. And wow. then uh, the chosen squad seems came like up and charged the squad. Go ahead. Sorry. So this seems just like a crazy effective turn. It was an insane turn. Very you much went like, first, right? I went, went first, so this you know allowed me to be able to put this type of power and put this type of pressure on. So everything is going according on best case scenario right now. Like I was very much like, hey, look, I wasn't put on the back foot. I wasn't put on the. I didn't have to be on the back foot. I was able to initiate the fight, which is really important on the terrain setup and the mission because I didn't want to let Drakari with this many extra line of sight blocking pieces just to kind of dominate the board. So. I killed 10 incubi, seven bikes, four raiders, and a handful of witches. Turn one. Able to hide this, break out some stuff, and get some extra angles. So the raiders that were, that two of the ones that I killed were over towards the, on his long edge towards my short, going towards my short board. Um, and I knew they were going to be a problem because you know, there's objectives over there. I'm going to root them out. That's why the Chosen's out and out flank. Um, and as soon as he pops out his turn one, he's going to move up, get those, and then I can just come off with my board edges. Or, or not off my board edge, come off of the uh, short edge to get those uh, bolter shots and lightning claw attacks on witches. So, all, all according to plan. But I'm still at risk here because when it's Jakari, it only takes them to spike one or two say one or two sinks. So I'm really having to still, like, I'm just because I got a crazy amount of damage from one, it doesn't matter when I'm already kind of close to him where I knew that he would have to come into me. So I made sure that one, I set up screens properly to avoid taking that unnecessary damage. Um, my gun units are a lot safer. I'm forcing him to go in the dread claws with foot units and so forth. So his turn one, he's like, Steven is a really smart guy and he is relatively new to the game. He's already won his first major last month at the Rocky uh, Rumble going six and oh. Okay, he goes to his first major, he goes six and oh. Granted, it was with very powerful unnerfed Jakari. But still doing, getting to that level. And he also still got furred over at the event. To put down, like, he's a smart, good player and has a lot of potential. I'm looking forward to see more of what he does. He came down, he's like, realizing, like, I'm like, I can't play KG. I cannot play KG at all. I have to go all in at you now. Otherwise, if this just happens next turn, you're going to, you know, take me in waves. And I'm probably just going to die. Um, So he goes all in. So, like, turn one took, like, probably, like, an hour and a half alone. Because of how bloody it was. He comes in. Drazar is attacking a Contemptor. Doesn't kill the Contemptor. Uh, noise Marines. I end up fighting first. Uh, you know, get made force multiple engagements. Where the Noise Marines in close combat. Killed the entire Witch Squad before they got a swing. Because he didn't want to lose the Incubi to um, Chosen. Or Chosen or was it Havoc? I can't remember which ones. It was, it was one of my little bit more beefier units. So like we had all these combats going on. And the dead pile was massive. I think I lost uh, one Dreadclaw. I didn't lose actually any of my Havocs. 
Or no, I lost my Chain Reaper Havocs. I didn't lose my two Autocannon Havocs. Noise Marines were still alive. But, you know, he gave me a 5 on primary. Um, nothing more I can done about that. Or not a 5 on primary. A 0 on primary. So just Which, to, to recap the first turn, basically, you hit him as hard as you possibly could. Had a tremendously effective turn. Like Dream Turn. You know, four Raiders, bunch of Incubi, a bunch of Jet Bikes. And then his response was killing... Some chosen one unit of havocs, not killing your noise marines. I feel like you're in tremendously good spot right here. Even if you are taking the five on primary, you got the material advantage, and you got four more turns of forty k to play. Yep. But it feels like his strategy was to come in, try to. He saw that you were going to try to deny him because you were you basically denied his control of the board state, and he said, "I'm going to try to missile in and zero you on primary, and that's my goal for this game." It seems like to me, at least. So that was very much like zeroing on the primary, which. At the end of the day, I only got 10 points across the game on primary. You know, he still got second, so he got an easy 15 in there. He actually still maxed out primary here because across the game, like, all it takes is one witch or two to survive. And that happens, cool, but, like, I could have denied some more if maybe I made some different decisions. So how did you, from, sorry, we'll let you keep going, but after turn one, how did you not just continue tabling him? Or are you going to, I guess, describe that to us? So when he did that, I came out, let's say on the small, let's say I'm winning the battle. I'm running the front-to-front warfare, right? Like that, that battle is going great. These little skirt, these two little witch squads went far out, but got other uh, raider that died. Uh, they're on objectives. I got to take them off. It's vital intelligence, right? So like, otherwise they're just going to sit there and they're going to leave. And then I'm going to like sad face because they're still getting points there. Uh, they're also going to get data intercepts and so forth. So I really was like going into turn two. I'm like, all right, I need to continue to strain his ability to get engage and data intercept. And I, um, our data, uh, retrieve data. And so the chosen unit came out of outflank, uh, boltered up. I think it was like four witches. Cause like one lost the explosion, set up a charge to charge another one. The bolters only killed one, which was, I should have at that point made some different decisions there because that, which that, that one, witch squad came through and denied me a lot of points. Ultimately. So what happened from all my turn two, I was really looking at how his secondaries, how can I limit them and keep them down and try to make his primary harder. So it came down to cleanup. Okay. He kept one unit of, he kept the Hellions back because there was no good place, places for them to go. Otherwise he was just over committing and trying to kill all my units. Like he did turn uh, one. Uh, therefore he would have a turn two follow-up play with just the Hellions. So the, Trick here was ultimately Drazar got away with like took a lot of wounds, uh, dropped down to one, but didn't die. So I had to make one thing that was really sad. Turn two was I had to charge a cultist squad and a um and a havoc squad into Drazar. I was in a gauge with a one wound Drazar and a one wound Contemptor Dread, and I really needed to win that combat because you know one wound Drazar is just gonna go pick up a unit still during his turn, because it's at the end of my turn. So I had to charge him with that. For, you know, forces interrupt. He kills the ch- he kills the Havoc squad, which then the cultists put down Drazar. Um, I'm, you know, back on those objectives. I now denied him those points there. He has one little succubus hiding over there and the, towards that, you know, from my table edge, about that left side, not the farthest one up, but the second one, uh, I mean, 12 away from the center. And I wasn't able to get any angles at her. So he got away with a solid going into his turn. He got five points. Okay. Where I got a zero. So like little things like that were just super important. And then um, 
that small witch squad that, you know, I should have popped. That was one of those cases where I could have done it and I should have evaluated, like, I should have popped vets and double shoot on that chosen squad just to kill those witches because those witches would be, those free witches would be very much of a pain going into the later turns. Can you tell us what vets and the double shoot, are those, both, those are both strats there and yep. kind of what they do? So veterans long wars plus on the wound. And then I can pop two CP for a slash unit to allow them at the end of the shooting phase to shoot again. Wow, um, so. it's, it's, you know, it was, I'm winning these wars on the main front and we're trading up, but it's still, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter about winning the main battle. It's those skirmishing and getting those points. So that unit would actually come into, let's say, turn two. All he has left is like a raider with some witches left in it. A unit of cavalites, I think. He has, a, he has two succubus, no, one succubus left. I've put down one in turn two. And let's think here. I think three bikes left, and the Hellions move up. Okay. Uh, I did kill the bikes on turn two. Sorry. The Hellions move up, and the Hellions, you know, there's a lot more stuff open for them to go after and kill because, you know, turn one he came for, he killed a decent amount too. They make a hole for them, and they had plus two movement and very fast, turn two. So they advanced charge, moved up. Picked up their units. I left my Chaos Lord in reserve to make sure that he was really good at picking them up because he's two damage reloading wounds, but high volume of attacks. The Noise Marines are still alive at this point. Um, but what was crucial was I end up rolling... Let me think here. I come up there, go after the Hellions, put them down with the Chaos Lord. The Noise Marines fail a charge to go take off one of his objectives with that uh, with a one wound uh, Succubus. And that was kind of... That was rough. I, or was it the full health one? It may have not been. But it was a succubus, and I had a full noise ring unit ready to go, you know, punch her off the board and swing there first. Um, I really did one thing where I... How big of a charge the, was it that, that they missed? It was a seven. Okay. So or, you no, were it was a seven. Charging. No, it was, it, was not, it was failable by a small percentage chance, so it was a nine. So I didn't have a CP to re-roll the charge. Okay. Um, I had, Sorry, I have one CP to honor the prince or re-roll the charge. I did not make the Honor of the Prince charge legally, so I had to re-roll it, and I failed it. I'm like, that's not good. <laughs> so yeah. if I could just, like, summarize kind of what's going on here so we don't get too lost in the weeds of... Yeah. Um, I feel like you came in, you came out super hard, you did a ton of damage. His rebuttal, honestly, wasn't that great, but where you lost the game was basically him having little straggler, a couple of witch units here, a couple of witch units there, a random character that hits way harder than it should because Dark Eldar... Um, you basically just ran out of steam to kill all of it, because like you said, Dark Elder has such a good sustainability, they just never run out of units, even after you did so much damage on turn one. And they mm -hmm. translated that with Bob Matern and just kept robbing your score, wrecking your primary, that kind of thing. Is that more or less what happened? That's more or less what happened, and just, you know, those little points of, like, that one Freeman Witch Squad that survived over there stuck away, like, you know, Data Intercept over there, because I was planning on charging backwards at some point with the Noise Rings. And like, there's just lots of little position plays where I'm like, it's that one or two obsec bodies that were so hard for me to deal with because I let them get away. So from when I see your list, I, I actually think your chaos list is better than most chaos lists at picking up random skirmishing stuff. This is something chaos has always struggled with because they're very close combat oriented, psychic power oriented, traditionally not a very shooty army. So they can't split fire a million different ways to kill small straggler units. Yours actually does have quite a lot of firepower in a variety of different squads. So why did you struggle to kill like a couple witches here or a couple witches there? So that one there was struggle because that like that was the unit that got out of a raider turn one because it died. 
moved up and got behind a ruin where like actually my main firepower could not get line of sights to it. Oh, um, so, so maybe that's, just con- oh, go ahead. It was two units and they were kind of spread apart. And so I couldn't charge both of them at the same time with the chosen squad that's on outflank. And I ended up swapping my vets and double shoot on a different unit to try to win the, you know, I'm just going to table you faster. And in this, in this position, I could have made that judgment. Like these three witches would cause me a pain in the next three turns that would stop that from right. happening. You know, it would stop so many primary points where, cause he denied me primary points and it gained him primary points. So there's a big margin of swing there. Is part of the problem with your list, I'm just asking here, just like once you do your heavy alpha strike, your uh, your movement really powders down, like then you, after you're done drop potting in, you move six inches with this whole army. And yes, you have honor the prince, but it's only in one place at one time. And if your opponent was really uh, familiar with your list, maybe he would affect honor the prince on the first opportunity to really slow you down. Is that something of a weakness of your army, you think? It can be, and that's one of the reasons why I have to outflank so many extra units. Therefore, I don't get like the chosen squads or cultists, and sometimes the dread. Because once I initiate that footprint, I have to make sure that my positioning is very spot on. Otherwise, I can just get out of position and just lose on those primary points, and I can't deny my opponent. I'm not forcing an issue. Interesting. Yeah, whenever I hear this, whenever I hear you talk about this game, the one thing I want to point out, and I want to give him props, I feel like Steven played a heck of a game, man. Steven, like, the way he positioned and like <laughs> with these mm-hmm. small units everywhere. I think that goes without saying. Like, Steven lost four Raiders, most of the Reavers, ten Incubi on turn one, one second versus on Vital Intelligence. That's a hard spot to come back from. And then he just turned this around and won. 20 points down in secondaries. Like, if anything, maybe let's get Steven on the Order War podcast to talk about how he won this Steven, game. Steven know? was great. And he, he, that's the thing that made this game so insane was he didn't just roll over and die. He was constantly looking like, how I get these points? I'm like, I don't think I can win, but I think there's a small chance I could like, let's just keep pushing and keep playing it out. I imagine right a lot here. of players would have like mentally broken down after that turn one, uh, massacre you dealt them. But you know, dark elder, especially are one of those armies that until they are out of models, like zero models on the board, you have plays you can make. Yep, Brad, exactly. Brad's not here for this episode, so I feel like I have to make. I feel like we talk about this every episode on Unbroken, just like the mindset going into a game, and that's that's exactly what Stephen had here. You know, the unbroken mindset here, where you just got rocked in a turn. And one of the common mistakes I think a lot of 40k players who start, myself included, when I first started playing, is you take a hard turn one and you just say, "Oh, that was so unlucky." I, I, you know, and you, bl- you start blaming, you know, and just like derailing your whole game and you just stop if you just stop and think like okay well what do i have left what can i make plays on which is pretty much exactly what steven did right he said all right i have like these units left i can take them and i can hide them in this piece of terrain and i can deny him primary and ultimately that won him the game which is pretty awesome that was that was it right there and like that was it was it was it was it was an insane experience like i like there's so many little things that i could just teach and talk about show about this game and I don't think we can get everything in one episode. Not well, gonna we're going to get in part two, man. We're going to, I'm going, we're going to just completely grill you on everything. We're, you're going to coach oh, me. Mark, you're going to tell me how I would you in part two. <laughs> oh, I'm excited. I am so excited for this part two. Uh, man, Mark, thanks for coming on with us. I am just jumping at the bit to get into this next episode to talk about all the nitty gritty and uh, really do a deep dive into your list. Put another, that's all the areas of improvement. I was going to say, I'm going to put another coin there in the deep dive jar for Steve Joel there. Every time I, every time I say deep dive, I have to drop one in the swear jar. So 
All so right. That's the, yeah, that's another. Oh, there's another one. Yep, another coin. Um, so the last part of this episode, we're going to do a little bit of a Q&A from our War Room members. Just a reminder for all of our War Room, War Room members out there, we have a Facebook group. You can subscribe to it on theartofwar40k.com. I think you're cutting out really we, bad right now. Okay. Let me pause. Like, all, all that got cut out. Like, we didn't hear anything. What did you, what was the last thing I said? War members. Like, we were about to be like, just a reminder for all you war members, and then just silence. Robot silence. Yeah, let me put an edit mark there. I'm going to start back at 46. Um, so, I'm going to cut into the war room stuff. Let's see. Okay. For the last part of the episode, we're going to do a quick Q&A here. This is a Q&A that we pull questions from the War Room members. Just a reminder that the War Room is available for purchase at theartofwar40k.com. What it is, just a forum for members just to talk to each other. It's a wide community. On that same note, with the War Room uh, subscription, you get all of our coaches doing weekly clinics. That includes clinics for all your favorite factions. It includes weekly games where the coaches play against each other and kind of coach you how they would play. Um, there's just all kinds of, there's a math clinic. There's a meta breakdown every Monday. Nick, you have anything to add to that? Yeah. I just want to say that in the war, we try to foster a whole community of like-minded individuals. So you get access to some of the best 40 K players in the world, myself, Mark Perry, Richard Siegler, John Lennon, Brad Chester, many more. And we, we try to coach you and coach the group. So, uh, like Blake was saying, we teach all these classes, we do live coaching stream games. So we try to give you access to some of the best resources you have available to up your 40 K game. And as one of those resources is actually a Q and a that we do at the end of every episode. And we pull questions from our members, uh, via Facebook this week, your question comes from the one and only Blake law myself. And Mark, I just have to say, what events do you plan to do this fall? Are you going to be in Orlando? Am I going to get a massive bear hug? You're going to get a massive bear hug. You're probably going to get multiples because that's just how this works. It's an all-consuming hug. I'm First, I'm preparing myself, yeah. Like events, man, I got so many going to like come the apocalypse. We got all the GW events coming forward. We got, I'm going to both New Orleans events no matter what because that's like, that's my homeland. So I'm going to be happy. And I actually have a follow-up question for you from the same Q&A, Mark. What is the most fun unit in this list for you? Oh, I don't, I think for this army, there's so many fun units in this army. I would have to say across my weekend probably was the Chain Reaper Havocs because rolling so many dice for just a little bunch of mini cannons were fun. I was charging and tagging with them across the event. Like they were, they, they were charging in the mirror match and I had round six and like the Chain Reaper Havoc unit did so much stuff. I'm I'm excited. I, I, I have a lot of questions for you in part two about that specific unit even. Like I, there's so many... There, there's a, it's, the list is fun. I like everything in it. I'm excited to go into it, and um, we'll we'll just go. We're gonna do we're gonna do part two. We're gonna do it big. Thanks for coming, Mark. Uh, we really I really enjoyed having you as always. I'm I feel like I uh, am sad that it took 11 episodes to get you here. And I know Brad said he can't be here to talk to you. It's okay, we'll get the Brad back on. I'll somehow find my way back on. Well. Um, just a reminder for everyone out there, if you have any questions, concerns, um, if you want to submit a question for the Q and a, uh, go ahead and give me some feedback at Blake at the art of war 40 K.com. And as always, I appreciate any emails, any questions, concerns you have. Like what you just listened to check out art of war and the art of war down under podcast on the competitive 40 K network, the art of war 40 K.com.